Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, nutritionist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialise in women's health and the menopause. There are multiple ways that diet and lifestyle can support you through the challenges of midlife. And my latest book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with all my best nutritional advice to help you tailor your diet to your menopause symptoms. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. With International Women's Day fast approaching and with a the theme of hashtag embrace equity, I wanted to take a closer look at diversity around the menopause. Because it doesn't just happen to the tired-looking, grey-haired white woman that seems to take centre stage in so many of the slightly depressing stock shots used in the media. Every woman goes through menopause, and it can happen at any age. Some women experience premature menopause. Others may have menopause triggered by medical treatment or a surgical intervention. And women of every ethnicity experience menopause too. And it's really important to understand that the timing and some of the symptoms and risk factors can vary quite significantly if you're black or Asian, for example. If that's you or one of your loved ones, it's essential to understand these key differences in order to take positive action. And I've got just the woman to help us with this. But first, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Better You, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. We need optimum levels of vitamin D to absorb the calcium which keeps our bones strong and healthy. And that's why a supplement really is a non-negotiable for women in midlife. Vitamin D also plays a key role in supporting immune function, protecting against infection, and it can influence our mood and mental health too. I'm a big fan of the Better You Vitamin D Oral Sprays, which include products suitable for all the family that are very simple to use and with a delicious peppermint flavour. Discover their full range of vitamin and mineral sprays and their wonderfully calming magnesium products, which come as lotions, bath salts and skin sprays, by visiting betteryou.com forward slash THM, where listeners can get 20% off at checkout using the code THM, subject to terms and conditions. So that's betteryou.com forward slash THM, plus the discount code THM, which stands for The Happy Menopause. Nice and easy to remember. And so on to today's episode. I'm thrilled that Karen Arthur is joining me today. Karen's a fashion creative, menopause diversity campaigner, and host of the groundbreaking podcast, Menopause Whilst Black. She's also the inspiration behind the hashtag, Wear Your Happy, because she believes passionately in the power of clothing and accessories to enhance your mood and lift your spirits. She's a complete bundle of energy and positivity. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Karen. Thank you for having me, Jackie. It's good to be here. Well, I'm really delighted because we've been following each other for a while on social media and I can't wait to hear all about your story. So tell us your story. What's your background and how does it lead to where you are now? Oh, gosh, that's a long answer to a short question. But basically... Well, break it down in bits. (laughs) (laughs) So I was a teacher 28 years. So my background is performing arts. I taught dance and then I was head of stage three performing arts for almost two decades. And then I moved across to the pastoral side. I got an injury 
And I convinced my uh, then head teacher that I could teach textiles, which I which I could. I was very good with the sewing machine. My mother taught me. Ooh, to impressive. When I was fifteen, and then I moved across to the pastoral side. I was really interested in working with parents and kids, and you know, finding out what made the kids tick, so they could you know learn better. How old were they? What classes were you talking about? So we're secondary school. So I oh, worked okay. in a mixed secondary school, then a girls' school. I was head of house in a girls' school, and then I became head of house in a large boys' school in South East London. For a long time, I loved my job. I loved teaching. I loved the kids. But it became apparent to me, particularly when my daughters, both my daughters went to university one year. I suppose I didn't have, I couldn't focus on them anymore. So I had to turn the focus on myself. And I was finding that I was very stressed out. I was having panic attacks. I was forgetting things, forgetting to go to meetings. How old were you at this point? So I was 51 at the time. Mm. And I was finding it difficult to do my job, but didn't think I could tell anybody. And I didn't make connections to anything. I just thought I was going mad. And it was this big secret that I was telling. But that caught up with me and I ended up being signed off from work a couple of times. Oh, dear. Sounds like a very tough time. It was because, because I... It didn't occur to me that I could do anything else. So I was trying to get better to go back to work. Um, I think that was what was hard. Like I was bewildered by what was happening to me and Mm. I wasn't linking it to menopause. And there's no reason why I would, because nobody else was. Nobody was talking about menopause. No, that's the thing, isn't it? And it's that that's a a story I hear a lot. You know, women not recognising themselves anymore, thinking they're going mad. And and it's awful. Yeah, I, I think no one was making the links between poor mental well-being and menopause at the time. If, if mm. you heard someone talk about menopause, it was only about hot flushes. You didn't hear about panic attacks or, you know, or anything like that. So I, I left work. Long story short, I left work. And I thought I would start to get better because I thought work was the problem. Right. Um, I'd been to the doctors. I knew I was having hot flushes. Um, I had... I'd made the connection that I was menopausal, but still not about mental well-being. And my doctor offered me antidepressants, um, which at the time I, I I declined because I thought, well, let me see if I can do something else. Let me see if I can see a herbalist or there's something else I can do. Mm. And then my aunt passed away. My aunt Monica uh, went into hospital. She went in and out a couple, three times in the end, and then she passed away suddenly. And that really floored me. Were you very close? This is the thing. I wouldn't describe us as close, but I was her next of kin in this country. My parents, both parents are from Barbados. And I uh, was the one living in London and I was in contact with her. We would talk, but only about three times a year or so. But we we were kindred. We we thought on the same lines. Um, And so, and you don't expect... You never, even if people are ill, you don't expect them to die. And she wasn't particularly ill until she was ill. And so that was, grief was added to my, to my feelings of, you know, anxiety and depression. And also that spiralling of, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I, I, you know, I've, Mm. I've left my career behind. My state, my, my uh, sense of identity was all tied up in my status. Yeah, that's so common, isn't it? Yeah. There was a lot going on, you know. And then I I started to, I 
learned how to do mindful meditation. I got very silent. Um, I started to journal. I created a routine that got me out of bed. I did affirmation. How did you get those things? Where did you come across them? Were you advised? or, or, or? Um, Some of them were uh, from books. I read, um, my brother is a Buddhist and he, um, my brother Mark, and has been a Buddhist for almost a couple of decades now, if not longer. And he recommended a massive book by John Kabat-Zinn um, called Full Catastrophe Living. And it's a massive book, so much, so massive that I've only read half of it. But the half I read is very good. And I was also, so what had also happened is that I'd also fallen and it had affected my right side. So I was finding it really difficult to walk. I was in a lot of pain. So it's almost like my the minute I left teaching, everything got chucked at me. My mental well-being deteriorated, my physical health deteriorated. And so I made it my mission to chuck whatever I could holistically at getting better. So it was body scans, it was it was reading, it was journaling. Um mm, I see. And did I, it help? Very quiet. Yeah, it did. It helped a lot. But it's slow. I speak to women now who are having a similar experience in terms of not knowing what they're doing with their lives or being diagnosed with anxiety and depression Mm. both. And one of the questions is always, well, how long did it take? And I don't know how long it took. I just know that it worked. But you, and also that me saying, oh, it took this amount of years or this amount of months isn't going to make any difference to anybody else's particular journey because we're all different, you know? Yeah. For sure. And so I would say I would recommend getting silent and I would recommend not necessarily meditation, although it worked for me. Some people find it very difficult. I would recommend trying lots of different things until th- something sticks. I've always been quite a holistic person. I've always been someone who stretched um, and exercised um, mm. as, as somebody who was dance trained. So in a sense, I deepened my yoga practice um, and I, I kind of went into looking after myself a lot. I read a lot of books, self-help books. Eckhart Tolle is one I think of, you know, The Power of Now, The Shadow Effect. I can't remember who that's by, but these are all books that help you, that help you see what's going on in your life and help you to move through whatever it is that's going on. And gratitude, Mm. for me, gratitude was a game changer. Um, Writing down three things or saying three things out loud that, that, I was grateful for because no matter how low I was feeling, there was always something to be grateful for. Sometimes I had to search for it, you know, but it was there. And I, and gradually these things take hold. They take hold. Good. Well, I'm glad you found that way. So sort of moving from there, what, what inspired you to found menopause whilst black? So I have a podcast called menopause whilst black because I, we got to 2020, so I'd left teaching, Mm. became a fashion designer. I made bespoke clothes for women and I enjoyed it and I became very successful at it. Um, And then we went into lockdown in the, at the beginning, February, 2020. And so like many people who can sew, I was busy making masks, making cloth masks. (laughs) Of course. Those. And I'd moved from my studio. I'd had a beautiful studio in southeast London. I'd moved from there and brought everything, my sewing machines and all my fabric back home. And I was finding 
I was I was working a lot, but actually it saved me because I had no clients. It actually saved me because I was making lots and lots of masks and making money that way. Two things happened. Amy Cooper weaponized her tears against Christian Cooper in Central Park and called the police on him. And then George Floyd was murdered. And it was on, it was everywhere. That video that I never watched, but the image is really, you know, buried in my brain in a sense. Mm. Um, and I, it may, like many people, it may, especially black folks, it made us very visible and it made us very angry and rageful, I would say. I don't even know if rageful is a word, but we're going with it. Yeah, no, what but you I, mean. I know that stress is, can exacerbate menopause symptoms. I know it can mm. make your flushes in particular worse. I knew the statistics around black women and how we experience menopause, which is that we, our menopause experience starts 8.5 months and up to two years earlier than our white counterparts. Yeah, and that's quite significant. There is no, and there are nuances across different cultures around how menopause affects us. South Asian women have a different Mm. experience as well. And so I, I I wanted connection. Remember, we're in lockdown. I wanted to know how black women who looked like me were coping with their menopause symptoms. And so I recorded a video that starts with, um, if you Google menopause and you click images, what do you see? And people did it. And what you saw was a sea of white women with grey hair, with their heads in their hands, looking very sad, often wearing beige. And you didn't see anybody (laughs) who, you know, you didn't see anybody who looked like me. You didn't see anybody smiling. Menopause wasn't um, represented as a joyful thing. Um, there were no black women, no Asian women, no younger women, no nothing, nothing. And I just thought that was wrong. And it, and also it contributed to me feeling alone when I did go through menopause is that I thought, well, it was just middle class white women who got it because that's all you saw. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I watched this video and I put it on my Instagram and, it, you know, people got it. People across demographics and across cultures got it. And I created a um, research, I started to do some research and asking black British women in particular about their experience of menopause because there wasn't anything out there. There was research from mm. 2007 and it was asking BME women about their why they were half as likely to take up hormone replacement therapy than white women. And there were 22 people in that survey, which I don't think is research, but it goes down. It was the only thing that was available. So I did my okay. own. Yeah. And out of that research, it became very clear that women, black women in particular, wanted to know more. They wanted some kind of resource. Mm. So I, I started the podcast. Well, congratulations. I really relate to what you say about that image of the menopause when you start looking at those shots they use in advertising. And they are these sort of, you know, downtrodden looking women, um, mainly white for sure, but always looking sort of grey and tired. And, you know, we are smiling, we are happy, we are dynamic, we have the ability to move mountains in our 40s and 50s. I think that the media could look for different images if they wanted to, but the stock images are that menopause is the end of life and therefore you're sad. And that's just not the case. And I'm here to say that Yes, menopause can be incredibly debilitating for many people. And it was for me. Anxiety and depression isn't a walk in the park. But at the same time, menopause helped me to find my voice. And menopause has helped me to become my most vibrant, alive self. 
And I'm determined to encourage women to get a handle on their menopause care early by learning about themselves, what makes them tick and what, you know, and different lifestyle changes or tweaks you can you can do so that when menopause does come around, if we do that earlier, if we do it before perimenopause kicks in, then by the time perimenopause comes and menopause, you're, I think you'd be thriving. I, I know that I'm thriving. I have much more to give. And I'm also grateful that I'm here. I'm 61 in a few months. And I think that that's something to be celebrated. I also feel really strongly about the diversification of the menopause space because you can hear the same story from five, six, seven women. And then you hear it from the eighth women and that woman happens to look like you or come from the same town as you or eat the same foods as you and suddenly the penny drops. I think that's yeah. important and that's why more and more women I encourage more and more women to speak up, you know, women who have early menopause, um, women who have surgical menopause, um, trans people who go through menopause, women from all types of sexualities. Um, I think that's important because the more voices that are out there, the less alone we will feel. And including uh, men and people who don't directly experience menopause in that global conversation. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the things that I think is incredibly important is really reaching out to communities more broadly across the country. Because I think one of the problems we've got is that, you know, if you are middle class and, you know, you've got a bit of time and money, then it's a lot easier to manage the menopause than it is if you're working two or three jobs trying to keep your family going. You haven't got time to think about yourself and your well-being, and even even if you wanted to. And so it's making sure that it's much more accessible for, for everybody of every demographic, both ethnic and socio-economic, I think is incredible important yeah I, and I think that that's that's absolutely true it's easy to take for granted we talk about menopause all the time we're on social media there are yeah. lots of people who aren't on social media there are lots of people who have no clue what is happening to them they just know that something's not quite right what we tend to do is we self-medicate because we don't have the time to reflect I was gifted silence it didn't feel like a gift at the time don't get me wrong but actually Silence is where you can really find out about yourself. And silence means, it doesn't mean just being physically silent. I withdrew. I, I, I didn't want to see people. You know, I, I, I set boundaries in place. I said no to a lot of stuff. And I feel that sometimes we get on, we are on this kind of treadmill where because we've always done something, we don't feel empowered to say no to people. And mm. um, we have so many responsibilities by the time that many of us get to perimenopause that we don't see a way out, which is why I feel it's so important for this message to be, for us to be having this conversation across generations so that 20 year old people, 25 year old people who experience, who are going to experience menopause without a doubt are getting that, you know, exercise is important, protein is important, oestrogen is going to start to lose, leave your body, getting sunlight is important, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it is all about the education, because I think, you know, that it seems as if when you when you get health education at school, it sort of stops around pregnancy, and nobody ever looks at what happens to a woman's body after that. Mm. And one of the things that's disturbed me lately is quite a sort of negative headlines around the menopause. So that certain women in their 20s and 30s are saying to me, I'm, I'm scared of that now. I'm terrified. It sounds like it's awful. And, 
you know, it doesn't have to be awful. And I, I think, you know, your comment about small tweaks you can make from diet and lifestyle, it's music to my ears as a nutritionist, mm. because that's what I work with in clinic every day, looking at the small things you can do that could, you know, very small things, but incredibly empowering that can make a world of difference. Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I, as I say, I have a dance background. So I always think I ate fairly healthily and I always exercised always been someone who swam ran a bit you know or went to the gym or whatever yoga you name it but what I started to notice that I was that I didn't know was linked to menopause was that my diet didn't serve me anymore so all that fruit all those you know bananas and that contributed to turning into carbs which you know made me pre-diabetic which I was so shocked about because you look at me and people would decide, oh, you know, you, you make that link between diabetes and being overweight or sedentary. Yeah. Um, but actually, um, black people have a higher propensity for diabetes anyway. So that was the strike against me. But also I wasn't eating the foods that were white right for my menopausal body and learning I guess getting that diagnosis my sister is a is a registered dietitian and so she kicked into into gear you know sending me a book and and talking to me about looking for carbs and things like that and whilst at the time I was like oh god I used to be able to eat anything well it's just not the case anymore and that's fine I'm much more mindful about how what I eat affects my body you know and so it means that I'm a lot healthier, you know, and, yeah. I, and I think that, but I could have done that. Had I known this information, I could have done that 10 years ago. I almost guarantee, not that I would change my life in any way, but had I known what I know now about menopause, then I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have had, I don't think I would have gone into anxiety and depression. You know, mm-hmm. I, th- I think because I would have been able to prepare 20 years ago. But it is what it is, and we're here, and I probably wouldn't be talking to you either. So it's a it's a win win situation. <laughs> yes, it's all worked out in the end. But I, I think that that's incredibly important, though. This whole notion of you know, there's lots of information starting to emerge around menopause. But what's really important is to know what's right for you. And mm. for many, you know, for Black and Asian women, there are certain physiological things you've got to be aware of. Mm. That the point you made earlier that the chances are you're going to menopause or perimenopause quite a bit earlier earlier than Caucasian women, that you're going to be prone to vitamin D deficiency, which of course is going to affect not just your bone health, but your mental health and also your immune health, that there is not just a propensity to to type 2 diabetes, but also to issues around cholesterol. And women post-menopause are already at higher risk of those conditions with the drop of estrogen. And then you put the ethnicity on top of that, then Mm. that makes you personally someone who will have to think harder about what's going on with the levels of sugar in my diet, for example, in relation to insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Yeah. And forewarned is forearmed. And then, so if you're able to make sure that that information is accessible to the, the women in, in these you know, particular ethnicities, it, it makes all the difference because then they're empowered. And, and that's why these conversations must start much earlier. I want to say something quickly about medical racism, only because that is another thing to add on to ethnicity is that traditionally it is very difficult for us to be heard you're trying to and us I mean black women because often you know I'm hearing stories of black women trying to getting appointments at doctors and then being kind of dismissed and I know that also happens to many women because we're women but on top of that 
we're talking about when you add racism into the mix and people are just dismissing you because you happen to be, they don't believe what you're saying or they believe, they think that you've got a higher mm. threshold of pain. They did a survey in, I think, 2020, where they asked medical students about whether they thought black folks had thicker skin and therefore a higher pain threshold. And 50% of pe- medical you're students... Kidding are going into the profession to look after me and, you know, and and that's just ridiculous. So we have to, the medical profession also needs to take responsibility for um, educating themselves, not just about menopause, but also about the nuances around race and how, how their teaching, their medical teaching from centuries ago, can show up in dealing with patients of different ethnicities, especially black women. So, I mean, that's a shocker. So what's your advice to to women, uh, black or otherwise, frankly, who Mm. feel they're not being heard or are being dismissed by their doctor? Okay, so there's a couple of things. There are a couple of apps that you can download onto your phone. Since we're all using our phones these days, there's a balance app, which is by Dr. Louise Newson, who Mm. runs the menopause charity. There's also Stella app. Or you can write things down in your journal around your symptoms and make sure that you are armed with your evidence. I would advocate listening to podcasts, find a podcast that you like. There's so much information out there that can be quite overwhelming. I would say uh, talk to a friend. I would say take a friend with you. I would say advocate for yourself and put your foot down. Uh, we We have been traditionally raised to believe everything that a person in a white coat says to us. Yeah, that's um, true. And that you accept it, don't you? The thing, you know, white coast, white coast effect, yeah. the white coat effect about us believing that. And there's the doctors are also humans, and some of them don't have menopause training, and many of them don't have racial bias training because that isn't a thing yet, in, certainly in the medical profession, unless it's in your particular district. And so it's important to remember that. And you know yourself more than anybody else does. And if your mm. doctor is saying, oh, you're too young to, do, to be feeling those things, but you're feeling those things. If, you're, if you've got tingly legs or you are forgetting things that you used to remember, you know this, in yeah. which case you advocate yourself. And a lot of uh, doctors' practices or surgeries, you have a, like a, a cohort of doctors. So I, I always go back to someone else. I always find someone else. And yes, it's long. You have to be patient as well. Like any uh, anything when it comes to tweaking your diet or whether you're taking hormone replacement therapy or if you're taking herbs or supplements, any of those things, you have to be patient because it doesn't, it's not a, it doesn't work straight away. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. I think it's worth also looking at the NICE guidelines, N-I-C-E, because if you can get those online, if you download those, um, it actually makes it very clear that antidepressants are not the first line treatment for women uh, sort of in, in perimenopause who are struggling with anxiety and depression. Yeah. So yeah. that can be an extra argument if you feel you're being pushed towards antidepressants when you suspect that hormone support might actually be be more appropriate. If hormone replacement therapy is for you, some people don't want to take it. Some people um, can't take it for all sorts of reasons. And we, with the press going the way it is, you could be forgiven for thinking that everybody's on HR, everybody who can is on hormone <laughs> therapy. And that's, yes, indeed. And that is far from the case. True. The majority, like 80%, 85% of women are not 
on hormone replacement therapy and that is a choice some of it some of it is because they don't know enough about it some of it is because they can't some of it is because they simply don't want to and that's absolutely fine but having the information will help you to one yeah. two things having the information but also knowing yourself will help you to work out the best menopause care for you with your doctor or your health practitioner yeah, yeah absolutely now, Karen, you touched on this earlier, all your fabulous fashion design stuff. And, you know, you're on the happy menopause and you've got the whole thing about where you're happy. Right. So tell us about that. Why is it important? So where you're happy, hashtag where you're happy was brought, it was a movement I uh, unwittingly founded um, again back in 2015, the year that my aunt passed away, the, the year I left my teaching career behind um, unexpectedly. And I found that I was missing my aunt, Aunt Monica. I was missing her. And I was charged with um, clearing, selling her house and clearing out her flat. And I kept a couple of her skirts and a bangle. And I found that when I missed her, I would reach for one of her skirts. Or if I was going somewhere where I thought she'd like it, whether it was an art gallery or a classical concert or something like that, I would put one of her skirts on and it would make me feel closer to her and help me feel better. And I started to be conscious about what I wore. So I started to, I make a lot of my own clothes. So I started to reach for clothing I'd made or clothing that had bright colours. There are certain colours that light me up, golden, sunshine, mm. yellow, pinks mm. and oranges, my favourite colour. Head wraps, bright earrings, soft clothing, silks, good lingerie, I, I recommend getting fitted properly because your menopause body changes. You know, uh, so I I started to do that and I started to talk about it on Twitter and hashtag where you're happy and put pictures of what I was wearing. And I found I became, my, my relationship with fashion changed. I stopped dressing for others. I stopped dressing for the male gaze or for a compliment or to look a certain way. And I started to dress just for me, which often meant that I looked like an explosion explosion in a paint factory I said several times before but <laughs> I found that it made it worked and I then I got to a point where I couldn't believe people weren't using fashion to lift your mood and now I can't stop talking about it because I dress every day with that in mind and I don't I'm not saying it's a you know oh you know throw away your antidepressants just dress happy that's not the way it works and it does take a certain amount of confidence but I would say start in your knicker drawer, throw away those grey knickers with the elastic falling off. Oh, yeah, we've all got those. Yeah, the, clo the, the clothing that you put closest to your skin first should be clothing that makes you feel good. Not because you're going to run around and flash your bra at, you know, Mr. Smith at number 32, but that <laughs> it makes you feel good. And so my, I, I wear my happy every day and I encourage women in particular because fashion has done a number on women, there are so many rules around that. Do you, Do you know, I, th there's a, a sort of yeah. funny little cartoon going around that I've seen saying, um, what should you wear when you're in your 50s? And then it goes on to say, whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And I think that's so true. It's not this, yeah. oh, well, you can't wear this because you're too old now. Yeah. And, and it, I feel like more and more people are getting that. But we, but I also am aware that we can often think that everybody understands 
but that's because we're all talking to the same people and we're all in the same circles. And then you yeah, step we're in a bit of a, a little bubble you know, there, aren't we? You know, so so I I I, I wrote a, an ebook called Eight Ways to Where You're Happy, and it just lists the different ways you can choose clothes to make you feel good, whether it's little things like accessories to you know a, an entire coat or hats or lingerie. There is always something that you can do. That makes yeah, you smile. That's for sure. Um, a few months back, I, I was lucky enough to do a photo shoot for an article about my book, and they put me in a red trouser suit. And I never thought in a million years I would ever wear a red trouser suit. You and go. you know what? I loved it so much, I went out um, and bought it. And yeah, every time I put that red trouser suit on, I feel like a million dollars and I call it my lucky red suit because I always seem to have a brilliant time whenever I wear it and I'm sure that's as much about the effect it has on me and my attitude to everything as anything else. And also it means that that suit will always remind you of that photo shoot which is a milestone because it was about your book it's a massive achievement every time you wear it and you have a good time there are more and more memories being layered into that suit we all have clothing that has memories often there's holiday clothing that we put away because we decide that we can't wear it because it's too cold. But if you layer these things and you love them, what's wrong with wearing them? I also think that we say we've been brought up to save things for best. And I say if we've survived a global pandemic and we're still here, every day is a cause for celebration. So wear what you want to wear rather than yeah. waiting for someone to take. You might not. Tomorrow is not promised, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, this is such great advice. <laughs> I'm feeling just happy of thinking about my suit already. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, we're coming shortly to the end of this, Karen. I can't believe it. And I, I do think it's been an incredibly useful discussion, actually, because it's not just about, you know, women, you know, black women or, or Asian women who are going through menopause, but I think really important for people who, you know, whether you're an employer or whether you're a team leader, or as you say, whether you're a doctor, you know, and you're, you're interacting with people of different, different ethnicities all the time. And if you don't understand a little bit more about what they're going through, then how can you possibly help? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's important. It's the, it's the noticing. It's the knowing. Yeah. The, the yeah. thing that came out of my research that black women said was, no one's asked us before. And I think that's really important. When you know better, you do better. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and your work? So my website is thekarenarthur.com. I spend a lot of time on Instagram. So I have two accounts, of course. So I've got at thekarenarthur and at menopause whilst black, which is obviously more menopause related. And I do the trailers for my podcast and things like that but mostly I talk about fashion and where you're happy and menopause and anything that takes mental well-being and anything that takes my fancy really (laughs) fantastic well I'll be sure to put links to all of those in the show notes so that everyone can find them easily so before we wrap up I always end with the same question so tell me this what are your top two tips for women going through the menopause move it or lose it is my first one And no, it's a full sentence is my second one. So I'll expand a little bit on that is find an exercise that you love and stick with it. And if you don't like exercise, find a buddy to go with you. Your goal is not to lose weight. Your goal, I mean, it can be, but your goal is to keep moving, keep stretching, keep enjoying 
the way your body moves. And the yeah. second one is about boundaries. We do too much. We already do too much. You've done too much for, you know, four or five decades. Step away. It's okay to say no. You have yeah. to put yourself first. How can you help other people if you don't help yourself first and you're not feeling at your best self? Yeah, absolutely right. Dare to say no. I couldn't agree more. Karen, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you. Thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I loved it. What an amazing woman. I hope this has inspired you to go out and get the help and support you need and to make sure you're wearing your happiest outfit along the way. If you'd like to find out more about Karen and the work that she does, check out the show notes on the podcast page of my website, well-well hyphenwell.co.uk, where I've put all the relevant links. And for even more self-care, don't forget to pick up your copy of the Happy Menopause book, which is full of all my best nutrition tips to help you navigate your menopause symptoms. It's available in all the usual places. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. I'd be so grateful. And do tell your friends and family about it too. It really does make a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast so that more women can find the show. After all, every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.